I would encourage you to turn to John chapter 6 in your Bible. John chapter 6, we will be beginning today at verse 22, and we will read through to verse 40. John chapter 6, verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus was not, had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign, then, are you going to do so we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Lord, just let us see your word clearly. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and our minds that we will not rely on the words of a man, but we will rely on your holy word that you've given us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bread for us is uh, something that we probably don't think of too often. You know, we, uh, I don't know about you, but I'll go to uh, a sandwich shop, and they ask you what kind of bread you want, and you have to stop and think. I I have no idea. What kind of bread do I want? Uh, Bread is part of our sustenance, but it is I'm going to guess for everybody in this room, not our sustenance each day. But there are many people, both historically and today, that bread is literally their physical sustenance in terms of most of their nutrition. Uh, about 30 years ago, I made my first trip to Romania. And uh, it, was le- it was about five years after the Romanian Revolution. And if you're not familiar at all with Romania, uh, they were under the thumb of an absolutely... Uh, egomaniacal tyrant named Nicolae Ceausescu. And we go into the details of it, but suffice it to say, 
a country that was abundant in human resources and natural resources was absolutely devastated under the communist rule of Nicolae Ceausescu. And so when I went there, much of, in fact, most of what we saw was still the remnants of what the communist system in Ceausescu did. And I got to, to know on that first trip a young man, he was a pastor in training, had a young family, had a baby boy with his wife. And right in the middle of Bucharest, in Piazza Uniri, they had put in one month earlier the very first McDonald's in Romania. And we make fun of McDonald's and we poo-poo McDonald's and all that. But you need to understand this was huge for them because this was a glimpse of things that were going to be better in their country. And so one day we were talking and I said to him, and completely naively, I said, hey, have you been to the McDonald's yet? And he said, yes. He said, uh, we stopped and had a drink. And I said, you, you didn't have a meal? And, and by the way, with the exchange rate, it was cheaper for a Big Mac meal for us there than it is here. So, you know, we're thinking this is fantastic. And I said, well, you didn't have a meal? And he says, no. He said, the cost of a meal at McDonald's for me is the same price as a week's worth of bread, and bread is my main food I eat. And so, not only did I feel badly <laughs> for, for uh, what I'd said, but I also realized very deeply, maybe for the first time in my life, literally what it means to rely on bread to live. And so what we see here then in the prelude to our passage is that Jesus had taken the five loaves and two fish that a boy had, and he had multiplied those to feed 5,000. And these people who he's speaking to now had been there. And we need to realize that there was no doubt that Jesus had done this. They were out in the countryside. There were no bakers. There were no ovens. And Jesus took it and multiplied, and they knew he did it. And so they're following him, and they catch up with him, as it says, the next day. And, and we're not going to spend time in verses 20 through, 22 through 25, but that's the background of this. And so what we see then is Jesus addressing their true motivations, the true motivations, that this vast multitude, and even today, vast multitudes of people are looking to obtain something worldly from God. That's where their motivation is. And you can see in verse 26, Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. He's telling them exactly what their true motivations are. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. We're going to move to that part a little later, but right there he's telling them that God has made Jesus Lord to bring his will to the people. And Jesus says this, and this reflects very often how we think. The response in verse 28 is, 
what can we do, what can we do to perform the works of God? Settle on that sentence for a little bit. It's easy to read right over things in here. What can we do to perform the works of God? They asked. We are going to perform the works of God. Just tell us. And Jesus replied in verse 29, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. Jesus has already told them he is the one that God has sent. Their response to that is, what can we do? And he tells them very clearly, there is only one way they can do anything. But they don't get it then. And look what they say in verse 30. What sign then are you going to do so we may see and believe you? Wait a second, what sign are you going to do? The day before, he had done a sign that was undeniable. And yet they're asking, what sign then are you going to do so we may see and believe you? What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Just as is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, they were their ancestors. These weren't the people who were in the wilderness with Moses. But they have maybe conveniently forgotten what exactly their ancestors did in response to what God did. Remember that after Joseph, after a period of time, there came a king and he enslaved the Israelites in Egypt. Exodus chapter 2 verse 23 through 25 says, after a long time the king of Egypt died and the Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. They cried out. This is important. They cried out, and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites, and God knew. God was with them. And then, in Exodus 3, Verses 7 to 8, the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Notice he will provide the physical needs, the territory of the Canaanites, the Heathites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And then God proceeded to take them out of Egypt with miraculous acts. Ten different judgments he brought on Israel, or on the Egyptians. And the Israelis saw this. He led them out, all of them, and through a miraculous act, he parted the Red Sea. They saw this. They were in the middle of it. They walked right through the middle. And then he brought the sea back down on the Egyptian armies. They had seen all this. They had observed all this. And yet, that's not enough. Because it doesn't take very long. We see in Exodus 16, verse 3, the Israelites said to them, this is Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, 
when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. They're blaming Moses. God brought them into the wilderness. But notice their collective memory has quickly changed. From their groanings and their misery, now they look back fondly. At least we had pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. So God provides for them what we call manna. And by all accounts in the Bible, manna was a very pleasant food. He provided for them. He said, this is all you need. Collect it for six days. On the sixth day, collect a double portion, and that'll hold you over for the Sabbath because you're not to collect on the Sabbath. However, that's not enough. Numbers 11 says that the riffraff among them, I love that term, the riffraff among them, had a strong craving for other food. The Israelites wept again and said, who will feed us meat? We remember, listen to this, this takes a lot of nerve. We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at but this manna. The bread of heaven had been provided for them, yet they did not accept it. Notice how their story had changed. Before it was just pots of meat and all the bread we ate. Now it's all kinds of good foods we had in, in Egypt. God was not enough for them. He was not their bread of life. And so in verse 32, Jesus responds, and he, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. Moses did not give it to you. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And of course, they still don't get it. Verse 34, then they said, sir, give us this bread always. And then Jesus says one of the most profound things that we could imagine. We would probably have never dreamed he would say this on our own. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. This is the same I am construction as the statement in Exodus 3.14 when Moses says to God, who do we say did this? And he says, tell them that I am that I am. When Jesus makes this I am statement, the first of seven that we'll see in the book of John, he is saying... I am the Lord. I am the bread of life. Isaiah 55, verses 2 and 3 says, Why do you spend your silver on what is not food, and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. I will make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of the faithful kindness of David. And Jesus occupies permanently the throne of David as the Lord Almighty. I am. The bread of life 
is the eternal creator. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. I am the bread of life, the creator of all things. And I bring that to you. A couple months ago, uh, Donna and I were very privileged to go on uh, a trip, a tour. And um, we part of it, the great blessing was we were able to celebrate our actual 35th wedding anniversary in Rome, eating at an outdoor restaurant in Rome. What a great blessing that was. We also, besides being in Italy, we, we were in Greece. Oh, and by the way, we had 31 teenagers with us, so, but they did great. And we were in Greece, and on one of our visits to archaeological sites, we were down on the southern coast, uh, down south of Athens, on the Mediterranean, this beautiful blue-green color. I, I mean, it, it looked almost like it was fake. And we were up on a bluff, and it's a beautiful uh, day, and you could look back behind, and there was a cove there. And then I, the best way I can describe looking at the hills around on the other side was it looked like what a travel guide for Greece would look like. It was just beautiful and fantastic. But we were there to see the Temple of Poseidon. Remember, the, the god of the seas. And here you have, and it looked like kind of the classic Greek temple. Like we, we saw the Parthenon with, you know, the columns. And it struck me. It struck me that these people viewed these gods in the pantheon of gods as the source of their sustenance. These gods, and if you remember anything from your schooling on the Greek and Roman gods, these were basically human beings who were sinful, yet they had superpowers. I mean, that's the best way to describe them. And yet these people are living in a situation where they have to rely for everything on these gods. And so as we're looking at the Temple of Poseidon, it struck me that this thing's made out of marble. And if you looked as far as the eyes could see, there's no marble quarries. These columns that they did in parts that weighed thousands and thousands of pounds were taken from miles and miles away. I don't know how far. Couldn't see anywhere there's a marble quarry. And they were carved finely in, in precision and assembled in precision. And they went to all of that effort, misguided as it was in false gods, but they went to all that effort because they saw this as the source of life for them, the gods provided life. And I, I sat there, I stood there looking at it and I thought, and then let's look at 21st century evangelical Christianity. We wake up on a Sunday morning, yeah, we don't feel like going to church. We'll just watch it online. The bread of life that we say we believe in is not important enough that we're going to get out of our pajamas and come to church. Or if the Seahawks have a 10 a.m. game, we're not going to church. Yet these people, for false gods, did that. 
because they saw that as life. You know, people can see Jesus and still not know who he is. Now, if we look at verse 35, I am the bread of life, Jesus says, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. And then he inserts this in verse 36. But as I told you, you've seen me. And yet you do not believe. We just went over that. They had seen him in action. They were with him, yet they did not believe. Jesus addressed this directly in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Refers back. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Right there, Jesus says, he didn't deny that they had done those things. But he said, away from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. That's a condemning statement. Oz Guinness wrote a book about 30 years ago called Fit Bodies, Fat Minds. And to sum it up, it was a critique of modern evangelical Christianity. And in this book... He makes a statement, and he says, of all the, under the umbrella of Christianity, evangelical Christians are the most worldly of all, that are striving for things in this world ahead of striving for things of the faith. Hence the title, Fit Bodies, Gotta Be in Shape, Fat Minds. And 30 years ago, what we see today has, has, had already begun. But he, he looks at on the dawn of the internet as we know it, and it's amazing. I just reread the book uh, a couple months ago. He, he's, he's talking about what it's going to look like, and he does a pretty good job. And so what we see then is in evangelical Christianity today, we see a position that has been taken that what acts can we perform to bring people to Christ? What acts can we perform? Juvenile, who was, that's not juvenile, it's juvenile, who was a poet in first and second century Rome. He was actually a satirist, and he wrote in Satire 10, uh, he coined a term called bread and circuses. And what he was speaking specifically to was politics, the political life. But his, his point was this, give them bread, give them entertainment, and they'll be happy. Bread and circuses. And how much do we see today in evangelical churches that reflects bread and circuses? Give them what they want, make sure they're filled, and give them some entertainment, make them feel good, and we're doing our job. R.C. Sproul was asked the question, 
is there a place for Christian entertainment? And he said, yes, but not on Sunday morning. And so what we see then is we see people usually not called preaching, usually teaching, speaking, something like that. And they are giving the people what their itchy ears want. They're using gimmicks and all kinds of bells and whistles. And the focus is on great communication for today's world and saying things that are really important for people but not what is really important for people, and that is the Word of God. We see what's happened with music, where if you turned the volume down and couldn't hear the words, you would think it's a rock concert. It's putting on a show, make people feel good, make them feel like they're out in the world. We don't want to make them feel too much like they're wholly committed to God. Now, that's not the only picture of what's happening today. And this was really difficult because I kept saying, I've, I've got to get to the positive, I've got to get to the positive, and it's coming, it's coming big time. But I think of, I've got friends, I've actually got a daughter and friends who are pastoring a church, and you go to their website, and what's it say on the, on the front of their website? It's all about Jesus. they got a banner hanging out on Sunday morning. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is our sustenance. And it is not up to us to try to entice and do things to bring people in just to get them in the door. It is our job to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and live a life that reflects truly the fact that we believe that Jesus is the bread of life. And then when we get to verse 37, now we get to the good news. You've heard it before. The gospel, we've got to have the gospel, the good news, but we've got to hear the bad news first, and now we have the good news. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. All those who God brings to Jesus are assured of gaining the bread of life. And notice the important function there. It is God who brings them. God who brings them. We have studied Romans. And you may remember Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30. For those he, speaking of God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And here's our assurance. And those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. That is the assurance we have. Later in the book of John in chapter 10, Jesus says this in verse 27 through 30, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. 
No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And as we look at verses 37 through 40 over and over again, the Father gives me. It is the Father's will. It is the will of him who sent me. For this is the will of my Father. It is the will of God that people will come to Jesus Christ. And we cannot push it along and we cannot subvert it. So what we need to do is in this place on Sunday morning is worship the Almighty King. We do not need to try to lure people in. We need to come together as God's people and worship on Sunday morning. That is the call we have. If we read the early church and everybody talks about we need to be like the early church, all they did was come together regularly and in fact early on at least every single day. I'm not, for, I'm not promoting that. And what they did was they worshiped Jesus Christ. And what happened? On a day when Peter preached the gospel, 3,000 came. Notice there is absolutely nothing in there about some kind of strategies they used. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. When Jesus prays in John chapter 17, he starts out by saying this. He looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you gave him authority over all people, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. He has given us to Jesus, and Jesus has assured us eternal life. And this morning is a time for everybody to look at the words, I am the bread of life, that whoever comes to Jesus will never hunger, will never thirst. And we need to take an inventory and say, is that what we really believe? Is that what we really believe based on what we say and what we do? When we walk out of this place, is, are the words coming out of our mouth reflecting that Jesus is our bread of life? Are we spending more time talking about the issues of the day and how we can, sol we can solve those issues by doing all kinds of different things? Or are we talking about we know the solution of the day, the solution is Jesus Christ, and that's how we're going to live. And yes, we will participate, and we'll participate in a way that glorifies God. But that is not the solution. The solution is not our system. The solution is God's plan. He's put it in place, and he has said in his words that those he's called, that Jesus has taken in, can be assured that they will always be in his presence. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray this morning, Lord, that...
we will all seek you, Jesus, as truly the bread of life, that nothing else matters, nothing we can try to perform or nothing we can try to design matters if you are not the bread of life. Let us then do the things that you've called your church to do firmly and specifically in the light that you are sovereign and you have decreed all things. And we are called to come alongside as you lead us in the path that gives you glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.